Hello everyone, I'm Mark, the chief writer here at Maltopia, and I just wanted to remind you the sleep-wake cycle is but one of a series of interconnected horror podcasts within the wide and weird world of Maltopia. For Easter eggs, crossover events, and additional lore, please check out our other series, The Shepherd of Wolves, Red Mother, Grimland, and The Damnation Machine. And be sure to check out our free content on our Patreon page for additional lore and stories. For even more Maltopia content, consider becoming a patron. Starting for as little as $2 a month, benefits range from additional art, update videos, early episode access, our mini-podcast series, October's Children, both written and full audio pieces, such as The Lost Library, Tales of Maltopia, and The Weird Book. You can also gain access to our found footage show, The Weird Tape Series, and even our Patreon-exclusive, fully-produced audio series, Devil's Clay. So, with all that said, I will leave you to the darkness. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Rusty Quill presents. felt artificial, poorly contrived, a room cut off from light by means of material barriers. Thus, the ambiance was merely dim as opposed to dark, 
a simple adjustment of the lighting rather than mood. While the forest I picked through was contained within the dimness, it was not properly expressed by it. Forests, even more so than cities, though only slightly, came into their own at nightfall, wearing menace upon their sleeves. Or bark, whichever. Darkness bequeathed reality to the beholder, allowing them to seed it with their own brand of fear. Yet the forest felt strangely unwilling to reflect anything, let alone my fears. This most likely owed to the forest's ownership to something other than the more traditional spirits of the woods. My handler loved weird, out-of-the-way locations. Drama was mother's milk to that one. It was a long walk through the brambles, crooked limbs jabbing and clawing at me every turn, and the path wandered every which way. The further I pushed on, the more I felt like I was walking across a stage, where the sights were mere symbols for real things. A few plastic ferns conveyed a forest. A length of fan-blown blue silk was a stand-in for a babbling brook. The synthetic feel to the night worsened with every step, and I wondered at my own role upon the stage, what character I was playing, my motivation. And then there was the crowd that must necessarily be watching, hanging upon my every move. My mind tilted more and more towards the absurd, as it often did, failing to keep my thoughts from slipping away into the dark. Eventually, I'd crafted an elaborate alternative to the darkened woods, where I combed through the fungal overgrowth of some massive galactic cellar. The lightlessness of an overhanging dead bulb mistaken for midnight grew some eyes fixing upon me from the dank shadows. The forest, or my interpretation of it, wasn't entirely distinct from where I'd been spending most of my nights. It seemed all horrible things had their share in the horrors of New Victoria. <laughs> I had to wonder what that sentiment said about me. Whenever I was on a job or out more or less sightseeing, I rarely had to engage the horrors I ran into, though I'd run afoul of my share here and there. But I was prepared for the occasional eventuality. <laughs> Most of the time, anyway. Finally, the sight of the ruined hospice brought me back into focus, why I'd come here at all. My work was largely structured, even if my assignments stemmed from an assortment of sources and reasons. But, regardless of what I was doing, or who I was doing it for, I went about it the same way each and every time. I dreamed. The structure, my destination seemed as detached from the night as the woods it collapsed into. Just something tall and white and wooden reposed to the basement of all creation. My eyesight was keen enough at night that I easily located the rotting entrance and quickly made my way inside. My eyes were generally more trouble than they were worth. Having them serve a useful purpose was refreshing. My signature new Victorian blue phosphorescent peepers, brighter and bluer than was typical, generally did too well a job vindicating my fear of being ogled in public. 
Equally justified was my sense of traveling a dank enclosure as I wandered the decrepit levels that had been spared by decay and rough weather. Despite years' worth of accrued grime, the floor was sound enough to reflect my footsteps in dull, steady tones, which was fine. I wasn't worried about anyone overhearing me. But I couldn't quit the feeling the place preferred to be kept in deep silence. When I saw the bed sitting in the middle of the dilapidated hallway, I didn't need the instruction painted on its headboard to know exactly what to do. So, after I situated myself on the mattress, lying down below the blue-painted message, Dream Here, I wasted no time sinking deeply into sleep. I'd been a professional dream catcher for most of my life, yet the trepidation of lowering myself into the depths of sleep was always there, the caution that I knew was warranted. No less warranted than what would be expected of a diver who'd knowingly slipped into shark-infested waters. Though, to be perfectly honest, I was certain I'd prefer sharks to the things that lurked inside certain dreams. The act of falling into deep sleep was a fairly smooth affair, as I was never truly awake to begin with. The world got progressively more plastic, gushing cohesion and logic, becoming ridiculous. Light became slightly palpable, colors caused random sounds and smells. The reach of the senses expanded and contracted based on the particular, if only momentary, physics of the given dream. Whenever moving into a dream that wasn't mine, I was required to penetrate a certain membrane. A mental effulgence that felt like pushing through a wall of rushing water. With that accomplished, and as with almost all dreams, a liquefying undercurrent moved beneath the surface of everything, threatening to contest the solidness of any and every single thing. Then I'd watch all that swirling mental stuff collect into shapes. The dream itself. The hospice steeped quietly in the twilight, basking within the slow death of the day. The imagery was a bit hazy around the edges, implying that the dream was a composite of many dreams and perhaps many dreamers. Melancholy swelled from the very air a grim lacquer of despair that felt clammy, even greasy, upon my skin. I appeared to be situated in one of the treatment wards, lines of musty beds crammed flush to the wall closest to the windows. The distant cries and coughing fits of Lord knows how many doomed patients played in the air, turning like the notes of grotesque wind chimes. I rose from the mattress and walked across the scuffed white floor, most of its octagonal tiles cracked and unclean. A rumpled, overstuffed chair crowded the opposite corner, stains of all kinds making a confusion of whatever color it was supposed to be. I guessed... blue. The echoes of many a cigarette wafted from the cushion as I sat down. Smell was a rarity in these situations. In fact, for a dream... The place was pleasantly detailed, and stable, if a tad rough around the edges for its layered composition. Even little motes of dust twirled within the bars of rusty light that fell from the windows. Huh, a nice touch. 
I appreciated the attention to detail more than anything else. They helped center me, encouraging my faith in firmness. I heard someone slowly climbing the fire escape just outside the open window. Heavy shoes atop old, creaky metal. Occasional patches of rust scraping off underfoot. Ah, those marvelous details. Whoever approached stopped just shy of coming into view. The country is in such sore need of polishing rosemary. So, so soiled. The voice from outside tisked, likely shaking his head. How can we be the shining city on the hill under so much grime, I ask you? It was a familiar voice, though the man had no name that I knew of. Just the handler my employers used whenever they needed to speak with me. It was a custom that I entertained these little topics of twee conversation before getting down to the business at hand. Any good garden is worth ten times its weight in weeds, I suppose. But good gardens always require dirty hands. He always seemed to enjoy my pithy responses. And the truth was, I had a feeling that dirty hands were exactly what was wanted from me. In a manner of speaking, of course. I was never asked to do much in terms of physicality, but the places they sent me and the dreams I hunted, well, I suspected there were worse ways of chasing down information that would rather not be found. This is certainly true, and as usual, you've presaged my intent, Rosemary, even though the dream doesn't at all belong to you. You see why we treasure you so. My handler was coming to that point where I was to be given my work orders. You know, at least as well as we, that the country needs to make a decision. Between the destructive portents of the darkness and the prospect of a unified humanity. We feel that, for the most part, people want for a world untied from the chaos of yesteryear. To make a clean break of things, get back to the prosperities of a healthy banality. But then there's the business of neo-noctum and risen heckanism, to name-drop but a few rabble-rousers. You see, we need to better understand what we're to be dealing with if any kind of substantive progress can be achieved. Therein lies your unique capacity to assist us in illuminating the darker details of such quandaries. We do hope you find this favor we ask of you as important as we do, and will give it your strictest attention, should you agree, of course. But first... Let's have ourselves a meeting about the whole thing, shall we? Yes, an old-fashioned sit-down. Why, it'll be splendid, Rosemary. This habit of his, asking whether I'd accept this or that job, was either condescending or a thoughtful consideration. After all, I'd practically no choice in the matter. I'd been their dream-catcher since I could remember, Though I chose more often than not to forget the story of how all this had come to be. The stuff of nightmares, really. The conversation was apparently over, as I could hear the speaker's footsteps navigating the fire escape in reverse, and the voice muttering. 
get-togethers can be so much fun. I'd likely be receiving some fairly portentous, if not entirely instructional dreams concerning the new project. At any rate, it was time for me to wake up and return home. Once back at my car, I decided, needed, to drive a bit deeper into the countryside, the uncovered moon my unflinching guide for the evening. I had to see it as fully as I could, how it ordered the sky and the world below, untouched by shifting tides of darkness, above the fray of squabbling mists, solid, bright, and whole. Its steadiness helped me think, anchored my thoughts against drifting into gibberish. From the outside, all things seem solid, but once you're on the inside, there was nothing but chaos, dreams. The hollow moon theory, it was likely pretty true. The notion had more than once dimmed my trust in the big white rock. Just a floating head filled with noisy dreams, the uncertainty of space. That was what people seemed like to me. Just so much barely contained noise. I still didn't understand how all that nonsense came out on the other side of waking as a coherent person. I see a woman on the street, and all I hear is the silence of her sleep, her waking words so completely curated. And then, later that same night, when I see her in dreams, she might turn into a glass lynx or sing me a song made from post-it notes. Just lunacy. People slept as much as they were awake, so which version of them was real? What set of words and deeds truly intimated who they were? This problem was further complicated when you figure in the great darkness, when humanity seemingly reversed the roles of waking and dreaming. Wide awake and dreaming out loud, noise above and below. It was easily the worst time of my life, which was a common enough sentiment, sure, but my experience of the thing was anything but common. I remembered what happened, or at least I remembered my dreams of the thing, which in all likelihood weren't all that exclusive of one another. My area of expertise certainly wasn't physics, at least not as it applied to the solid world, but I did have a rather extensive grasp of nether mechanics, especially pertaining to decoherent frameworks, like dreams, so I wasn't entirely surprised when I overheard a senior sleep engineer at the lab in New Victoria talking about the great darkness. He spoke as if it were a temporary shift in universal structure, brought on by the proximity of our reality to some kind of primal void, as he called it. It wasn't the first time I'd heard the event described in scientific terms, but it was the first time I'd heard it spoken with such confidence. Science was a bastion for me, a mantra of facts I could chant whenever the world started melting into so much hypnagogic mumbo-jumbo. It kept my head focused on the solid world. A definitive place, a bulwark against dreams and insanity. The engineer's confidence had bolstered my own. That, perhaps, the great darkness was an event. A process. Something that could be understood maybe even prevented from ever happening again. Oh, Christ, I hope so.
My wonder at the upcoming meeting began to over-engage my imagination, or rather my paranoia, which could be a pretty sticky situation for someone with my temperament. The sight of the solid moon barely braced me against the worst possible of expectations. Among them, how I'd likely be assassinated for knowing too much about a certain sleeping city and what lurked beneath it, the subject of almost all my steady work. I'd been at the lab for years and years, getting away only when my bosses loaned out my services for the occasional dream read. But who knew? Maybe the higher-ups thought my profile was getting too high, my lips a little too loose about what I did at the lab. It was ironic that I was more frightened by what my own people might do, rather than the things that always lurked the boundary of sleep, the wakeless, the creatures I'd been employed for almost 20 years to keep tabs on. That I feared I'd be black-bagged just when I thought I was fairly indispensable only made the worst kind of sense. I popped a quick pill and leaned against the hood of my car, the engine still warm against my hands, the breeze cool and sweet with night flowers. The pill didn't kick in in time, and I could feel myself slipping beyond the embrace of the quiet white sun. Before I knew it, I'd fallen into a dream. More of a vision, really. I was in the darkness of the same field, but the sky had become liquid and moonless rippling like a sea of tar. A familiar and nameless voice dripped down from above, where the moon had been black-bagged right out of the heavens, no doubt. Tomorrow at midnight, go to the diner on the west corner of Wax Street. Sit at the end booth. You'll be having company. Ta, Rosemary. After I'd surfaced from sleep, I pressed myself as deep into the cushions of my car seat as I could. The pressure felt good, real, tangible. The words of my handler squirmed through my brain like a gaggle of worms. The man, or whatever he was, was at his theatrics again, toying with me. Although this time, something felt different about the whole thing. The future had a vacation home in dreams, I was fairly sure, and I couldn't deny that I'd been feeling a change in the wind for a while. Despite my practice paranoia, and while I still felt getting assassinated was a distinct possibility, there was something else. Something closing on me. Something from my past. If that were true, it was likely worse, far worse, than getting terminated from my job, so to speak. My past was filled with night plagues and death and suffering and loss. If it was coming for me, I'd rather the black bag. The Sleep-Wake Cycle is a Maltopia production. Today's episode was written by Mark Anzalone and performed by Kelly Bear and Stephen Anzalone. The episode was edited by Walker Kornfeld. Sound production and editing was performed by Stephen Anzalone, and the Sleep-Wake Cycle theme song was written and performed by Sean Zeller. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Maltopia. That's M-A-E-L-T-O-P-I-A. And if you'd like to know more about the world of the sleep-wake cycle and contribute to its nightmarish expansion, visit us at www.patreon.com forward slash Maltopia, where you can gain access to all sorts of art, mythology, stories, and more. For more information about the sleep-wake cycle and the larger world of Maltopia, head over to Maltopia.com. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.